welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we watched a movie talking about Paddington. Jan, do you want to tell us a little bit about this movie? So Paddington is a 2014 movie uh, directed by Paul King and written by Paul King and Hamish Bacall. Uh, it's based on the book series by Michael Bond, starring Hugh Bonneville, Sally Hawkins, Julie Walter, Jim Broadbent, Peter Capaldi, Nicole Kidman, and Ben Wishaw. Wishaw? Wishaw? Anyway. Wishaw. 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 As, as Paddington. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the plot to this movie, Paul. Paddington is a bear from darkest Peru. When his home is destroyed by an earthquake, he travels to London to try to find a new home, to try to find the explorer who once visited Peru and taught his family to speak English and love marmalade. He meets the Brown family, and they uh, try to find him a home and eventually decide to welcome him into their home. Meanwhile, the daughter of the explorer plots to kill and stuff Paddington to restore her family's reputation because her father never retrieved a specimen of rare bear that Paddington is. She fails, and they they all live happily, all live happily in the Brown family. Yep. So, let's start where we usually do. Being as objective as we're capable of, <laughs> what's the quality of this movie? High. High quality. High quality. <laughs> I really, like, it. this is one of those ones, like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, that surprised me. I, I We watched this, I don't even know when the first time we watched this was, ages ago. And, like, it's a surprisingly good movie. Mm-hmm. The... It's got a lot of high-caliber actors in it, like all the British actors, and the the CGI is flawless. It's very good. It's very, very good, like surprisingly good. I I continue to be impressed with how well CGI has gone. I would say, uh, because of the Uncanny Valley, Paddington is the perfect thing to be CGI. Exactly. Because they're, they're hitting some kind of sweet spot between him being teddy bear-like and him being real bear-like, and they don't have to worry about giving him lifelike human eyes, and they don't have to worry about all the things... being perfectly a bear? Yeah. All the things that make CGI look terrible, by good chance... I think they're also doing a great job, I don't want to diminish, but they also... Paddington's just the right kind of thing to be CGI. Yeah, and he's the... I think maybe the, the... Pigeons are probably CGI, too. Basically, he's the CGI thing to everything else being live action. And the pigeons are CGI, and there were moments where they were not as good. Yeah, I agree. Where they anyway, like so that's did just, double takes. That's just the look of it. And the, there's also the look and the direction of it. Like, the shot compositions are really well done. There's a lot of good, like, camera work. And the, it's just a really good director. I agree. If I was going to talk about things that I think are highlights of this movie, the direction and the acting is all good. So that aspect of the direction is good, but I don't think it necessarily stands out as especially good. It's mm-hmm. just like what you would expect. Good people are delivering lines, <laughs> but the shots 
the shot composition and the creativity behind it. And there's several things like, for example, Paddington uh, lives in the attic of their house and there's a little dollhouse in the attic and the dollhouse opens up to show their house with little people moving around inside. And they come back to that three or four times and it's just imaginative and neat looking, Mm -hmm. but also... Paddington is a toy. Yeah. I mean, not in the movie, but Paddington in the real world is a toy. And so he's, the house that he's in is also a toy. Yep. Or another example is there's a, like the set design is great. Oh yeah. Beautiful so set good. Design. The house looks fantastic. They have this, I want to live in this house. Yeah, absolutely. They have this spiral staircase with a tree painted that looks like it not looks like it's not realism, but a tree painted as if it is growing from the bottom floor all the way to the top floor of the house. Yeah. And at a few points in the movie, the leaves on the tree kind of blow away by CGI because they're representing Paddington's emotional state. Yeah. That kind of thing that is creative and imaginative and really compelling. Yep. Absolutely. I love every one of those little conceits throughout the movie. And there's a few of them. Yeah, absolutely. And that it, perfectly fits with the characters like you can see really see the mom painted that tree on she's the kind of person who would do that even though the dad is fairly stodgy clearly the mom isn't and she's the one who would do that kind of thing and even her job is that she illustrates adventure books so right she's yeah textually has artistic talent not just uh, temperament yep highlights lowlights so I think what I just said about the visuals and the direction is a major highlight for yep, me. Absolutely, and what, me too. what you said about CGI, I agree with. Like, uh, CGI, frankly, bugs me yep. more often than it bugs you. More often than it bugs most people, I tend to think CGI is really crappy and complain when it is. Yep. The pigeons in this movie are not perfect, but Paddington is pretty close to exactly what I would hope for for a CGI like he has weight and he has texture I am rarely if ever forcibly reminded that he isn't really there Mm -hmm. absolutely in fact never in fact thinking about it now I'm suddenly like his hat would like be on his head and off his head and passed to a human and passed back and like when was that hat CGI when was it real I could never tell yeah good call other people carried the hat. There was obviously was a real hat. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good example. That's a good example. I also think in terms of highlights, the script uh, is quite good. There's a lot of wordplay in the script yep. that's very clever and fun. Um, just like, I mean, I'm not even thinking of very many examples off the top of my head. But, you know, for example, Paddington is... Paddington is chasing, there's a guy who's stealing wallets and Paddington is chasing after him and he gets like a police hat, a toy police hat on his head accidentally and he's chasing after him and the criminal's like, must be some kind of police bear. And like, that's a silly line, but it's so funny (laughs) and so well delivered and so well like fits in that moment must be some sort of police bear and then he's like driving along and the gps is like bear left and he looks left and there's paddington being dragged behind a double-decker bus yeah and in the same scene he tr- tr- 
travels past the high school where they're studying um a winter's tale they're studying a winter's yeah, tale exit pursuit by like, bear this yeah. is the what shakespeare's most famous stage direction exit pursued by a and the daughter mm-hmm. interrupts paddington <laughs> and like it's a three beat really quickly and you expect it to be bear because yeah. there's a bear but they subvert it exactly as they should and that's just one example yeah. the script is full of that kind of like wordplay and I really enjoyed the script. Yeah, I must say, it's very good. Um, one of the highlights for me was the the actors, specifically uh, Julie Walters as Mrs. Bird. Julie Walters, who will always be Molly Weasley to me, was just, I don't know, so funny. So, like, her comedic timing is always just spot on. So she plays, like, their caretaker, possibly and it's unclear. She's some kind of vague relative. Yeah. Which could because she's in the book as that. Yeah. Um and by the end she gets drunk with the museum guard and she's just like her Scottishness gets dialed up to eleven and it's it's just great. I love it. I love Scottish Molly Weasley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is great. She's uh a delight in this yeah. movie, certainly. Exactly. Low lights? Lowlights, um, I mean, we'll cover it in the way too seriously. The term darkest Peru, every single time they say it, it grates on me. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, not a lot of lowlights. The plot is a bit contrived. Yeah. The villain has very little motivation. Like, it's yeah. pretty, pretty flimsy. Yeah, I It agree. almost feels you weren't in. I... In general, I'm not the biggest fan of Nicole Kidman. I just don't really like watching her. I think that it's a bit weird that she's... I feel like she's gotten worse as an actor. I feel like she was good in the 80s, and yeah. since then, I've just never really liked anything she's done. I agree with you. And I don't know what that is, but she's also just not British. She's Australian, and everyone else is very British in this. And so she, she grates against... Against yeah. the movie in not a good way because she's kind of meant to like stand out as being very different from the rest of it, but I just felt like she didn't quite even fit in the movie. She felt like Julianne Moore in The Big Lebowski, like she looked like her. I don't know. If that makes any sense. Julianne Moore in The Big Lebowski. Who was in The Big Lebowski with the short hair and the yeah? Bangs? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I guess she looks like her. She looks like her, and for some reason, it felt like... I don't know, I made some connection between the two of them okay. in my brain. <laughs> they have the same hairstyle. They have the same hairstyle. They're severe. They're se- that's exactly it. They're severe, and I felt like her severity was not quite right for that ch- a children's movie like this. No. I agree with you that the villain was the low point of the movie. I don't put it on Nicole Kidman, although... I also agree with you that she used to be better than she tends to be now. But um, I think she was actually doing what she was asked to do quite well, I, in my yes, estimation. I think maybe she was, yeah, she was doing what she was asked to be doing. But what she was asked to be doing, contrived is the word. Like you said, it's a contrived yep. villain. And like, what, she has no real motivation. And even when I was describing the plot, like, she wants to kill and stuff Paddington because... 
reasons. reasons because she's a collector she's like a because her father didn't stuff him and therefore lost his reputation as geographer so and like that, she's like a throwback to like victorian times when like we have to capture the last of its kind but it takes place like now and she's like and so kind of odd. cruella de vil and kind of yeah but like yeah she's improperly motivated yep. you can just say leave it at that yep i think it's a low light in the writing of the script yep how much did you enjoy this movie? A surprising amount. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, like like I said at the beginning, this is a movie I did not expect to like as much as I did. And then when we watched it the first time and watching it again tonight, I was like, wow, this is like really good. This is really fun and really like, it's a genuine family movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's a live action one that doesn't lose our younger daughter who tends to get lost in live action movies. It's a... Uh, it's kind of like a fun adventure. It's got lots of like humor for adults and can like it's fun to watch. And just like it's a bit weird and like it's like a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. For kids. A lot of like the shot compositions and the humor, the kind of deadpan sometimes humor. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of Wes Anderson movies. The deadpan humor that arises partly from the sets and costuming and like that kind of thing. I totally yeah. agree. I also Especially enjoyed... Royal Tan- like Royal Tannenbaums. It felt like it was Royal Tannenbaums, but straight and for children. Yeah. <laughs> I think... I remember we talked about uh, Captain Underpants, I think, last time. Mm-hmm. And one of my complaints about it was it only had one kind of humor. Yeah. So if you don't find potty humor funny, there's nothing really for you in Captain Underpants. Yes. This is a movie where there is... A whole gamut of kinds of joke. Yeah. If you don't like the wordplay, that's okay. There's madcap people falling over and yeah. flooding an apartment, uh, and if and sticking toothbrush in his ear and then someone <laughs> brushing their teeth with it later. Yeah, yeah. There's there, yeah. There's gross out humor and like everything. Yeah, from gross out humor to like intelligent humor to wordplay. That contributed a lot to my enjoyment of it. That I was uh, my humor on various levels, got appealed to. And I, like, I think I credit this partly to the actor and partly to the character design, but I actually cared about Paddington. Like, mm-hmm. I wanted him to find his home. I wanted yeah. him to be happy. I wanted them to help him. I thought the villain was a little flat, as I said, and Hugh Bonneville did great for what they asked him to do, but I didn't really care about him. Yeah. His his change of heart was a little abrupt. lightly abrupt, yes, and a little lightly motivated. As Canadians and as North Americans, Paddington isn't quite as deeply ingrained in our culture. Yeah, I was going to ask you this. What's your familiarity with Paddington Bear? I definitely have read a few of the books, like, as a kid. My uh, sister went to the UK when I was a teenager, when I was a young teenager, and she was a young adult, and she brought me back Paddington stuff. Oh, really? And so my my interaction with it is from this, like, oh, Paddington, he's cool. Like, I knew about him, and, like, I think we, I even maybe had a stuffed Paddington. Hmm. Like, I was, I'm fairly familiar with him, but not to the extent that, yeah, I am with, say, Winnie the Pooh. I have never read a Paddington book. No. My familiarity with Paddington comes entirely from this movie. Like, I knew he wears a red hat and a blue coat and is a bear. I was kind of surprised that Paddington, when I found out 
in like the special features of this movie that Paddington was more than like a picture book. Oh, that yeah. There's, it's a chapter book with pictures. My mental, I had Paddington in my mind somewhere in the same, maybe as the Velveteen Rabbit, but even more picturey than that. Huh. So I, I so didn't know. So you didn't Paddington know about like like marmalade no. being a thing with Paddington. Wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's a big thing. It's him I mean, and marmalade. I it. <laughs> yeah, it's he. His, those books have been published. Uh, the author died earlier this year, and he started writing. A Bear Called Paddington came out in, in 58, 59, and he's published Paddington books ever since. The last one came out this year, 2017. Hmm. There was a Paddington book, and so the, they've. The, it's continued to be written, unlike, say, Winnie the Pooh, which is more pop, much more popular in America than in Britain, I mean, or just as popular in America than it's Britain, Paddington has had tons of books in his author, and the author has continued continued to write them, and the author had, a, like, a cameo in the movie. Hmm. See, and, like, Winnie the Pooh, I have enormous childhood affection for Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. But, like, Paddington, I've never read a Paddington. I mean, like, I probably should. Yeah, you know? I feel like you should. You should yeah, read especially, Paddington. frankly, if the movie faithfully represents what the books are like, I would love these books. Yeah. Even as now. <laughs> Absolutely. So maybe your work at the library, bring me home a Paddington book, please. Absolutely. Um, oh, should we get into the way too, way too seriously, seriously portion of this? Yes, let's. All right. Where would you like to start with the way too seriously? I have a few uh, opening gamuts. We just got to start with Darkest Peru. What would you like to uh, <laughs> say about Darkest Peru? Is there some kind of problem with that? Even even worse, I read in, I read just before we started this episode about Paddington is that he originally wanted Paddington to come, Paddington to come from Darkest Africa, but his publisher told him there were no bears there, and so he came from Darkest Peru instead. Well, it is if you know anything about the history of colonialism, uh, even the tiniest bit. It is obvious that Darkest Peru is a euphemism for Darkest Africa because yep. they don't talk, no one talks about Darkest Peru. Yep. They talk about Darkest Africa. And when you talk about Darkest Africa, uh, that is colonialist in the most uh, toxic ways, like yes, every kind absolutely. of toxic way. Yep. Darkest Africa is dark because it is a. Uh, Backwards culture. It is an implicit reference to the skin color of the people who yes, live there. Of course. It is a reference to them being backwards and unenlightened, and it is a reference to it being unknown because whose knowledge counts only mine. Yeah. So the people who live there, their knowledge of where they live doesn't matter. It is an unknown place because Europeans don't know about it, therefore it is unknown. Yeah. So Darkest Peru trades on all of that it's it's just there's a lot of colonialist garbage with this and they i assume that that is all inherited from the books yes they try their best i think to do something about that i don't think they succeed no maybe they don't try their best they try a little bit a little to bit. do something about that in that the geographer's circle wants the geographer to go catalog the rest of the world, bring it back to England, because then it counts. And he says, they're civilized. 
Yeah. And the geographers say, civilized. Come off it, Clyde. They didn't even speak English. Well, no, but... Do they play cricket? Drink tea? Do the crossword? Pretty rum idea of civilization you've got, Clyde. That is the filmmakers poking fun at colonialist conceptions of what counts as civilized and what doesn't. Absolutely. So that is trying. It's pretty weak, though. Yeah. Because they still... It's darkest Peru because it's unknown by Europeans. By implication, humans are European. Yeah. Because you go to Peru and what you find there are animals. Yeah. I mean, not to mention, I have not looked up the history of Peru, so uh, I will as soon as I'm done recording, but uh, knowing the history of colonialism, who decided that it's Peru? Is that a... uh, Inca term. Mm. Who decided to chop up the Yeah, who decided to chop up South America and say that this part is Peru and now you're going to the darkest part of Peru. I don't know. Maybe Peru is a a name that Peruvians gave themselves. I would wager that uh, just knowing the history of colonialism and the rest of the world, I would wager that it's likely not. Yep. Uh, I'll be happy if I look it up and find out, yes, Peru is self-determined borders and name, but often it isn't Yep. in the history of colonized parts of the world and colonialist mindset, right? So darkest Peru is troublesome in so many different ways. What I just don't understand is you could, it does in the books, they call it darkest Peru. And so they want to do service to the books. But all you need to do is say Darkest Peru once. Mm-hmm. Have the guy from the 50s, or not from the 50s, from the Victorian era, it feels like, mm-hmm. even though it would be the 50s, say it. And then have everyone else just refer to it as Peru. Yeah. Because that's the name of the country. And even if you wanted to be extra great, you could have someone in 2016 or whatever year it's actually set taking place, like watch the video where he calls it darkest Peru and say, and you don't even have to like make a long speech. You could just have someone say darkest Peru. Yeah. Like with a question mark in their voice and then keep going. That would be enough to be like, that's a stupid thing to call it. Yeah. <laughs> right. But no, the movie no insists on it being called darkest Peru throughout. Not to mention we're talking colonialism in this movie, like what literally happens is an Englishman goes to Peru, meets the natives, teaches them English. They take, they pick up English ways because they are inherently better. They want to be more English. They wish they could go back to England. They go back to England and aren't welcomed the way they expect to be. Like this is a story about colonialism and immigration. Yeah, exactly. And they make the immigration metaphor fairly directly. Yeah. But they don't think about... Uh, all the awfulness that goes along with the colonialism metaphor. Yeah. But of course the, the natives of dark Peru pick up English habits and talk like English because that's what one does. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so darkest Peru. No, not okay. So darkest Peru problem. Yes. There's also, I mean, if we're talking about Peru and representations of colonialism, Let's just say out, let's just notice outright that everyone in this movie is white, except for some street musicians. Yeah. 
And then the street musicians are singing songs about how everyone's different in London. You can come to London, whether you're from, like, I can't remember the lyrics, but it's like whether you're from America or Antigua or wherever. But then the movie shows us all white people with English accents, and one of them is the Lord of Downton Abbey. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yep, absolutely. So, as with other movies we have pointed out this, it kind of want, kind of nods toward London as an inclusive place, but then the London that it shows us is not at all inclusive, not at all diverse. Yep. I think there's a ticket agent in the London tube. Yeah. Uh, That's about it. Who is not white. Yeah. Other, um, and the street musicians. And even within that uh, white culture of England, you have the maid is Scot uh, maid that the relative slash housekeeper slash whatever is Scottish. Yeah. And who gets drunk in the movie? The Scot. Yeah. And that is a stereotype to have yep. a Scottish person get drunk. Yep. All you need to do was make her Irish or something. You know, like. You, Irish drunk and Irish is also. It's also exactly like. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I just mean like you, you would have had that stereotype if no matter if you made her Scottish or Irish, it's both that you know. It's anyone who isn't English, and it's specifically anyone who isn't upper class. Hugh yeah, Bonneville exactly, English. exactly, exactly. So like, yeah, even if you had like a Cockney maid, just not maid housekeeper, whatever, that still would have been a stereotype. Like it's just like. There's so many. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that that you have the Scott get drunk was a misstep, I think. Even though I said in the less seriously part that I found that really funny, as I said that I realized that it's also a bit offensive. Yeah, the funny drunken Scott. Yeah. The funny drunken belligerent Scott. Exactly. Drunk and then starts getting belligerent and knocks. uh, And like, yeah. Kills the villain, except that, oh, she didn't die. She was hanging off of a pole just because yeah. it was a kid's movie. They didn't want her to die. Yeah. Yeah, so that's problem. When you, when you get to the point of, like, this movie is not giving us enough diversity in terms of white English people. Yeah. All the white English people are the same kind of white English people. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, good gravy, that's yeah. problem. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Um... What's going on with gender in this movie? What is going on with gender in this movie? I did find it, uh, it was very staunch gender roles in the parents, mm-hmm. except that there was a little bit of, there wasn't the shrew wife yeah. that I appreciated. She wasn't the, it wasn't the wife following all the rules and the husband being the goofy so, you know, rule breaker. I was going to say him being the, um, he's a risk assessor yeah. <laughs> in his job. Um, him being like strict and, uh, straight laced. He's, uh, Mr. Banks from Mary Poppins. Yes, absolutely. That is also a right along type father man in movies. And I've yeah. complained, I felt a little bit, uh, while I was watching it and I was frowning at some of the gender roles 
especially as the father and mother. Uh, I was wondering whether I'm being unfair because I complain when the father is not an authority figure because he's a doof who can't be trusted to take care of his kids. Yep. And then I complain when the father is an authority <laughs> figure because he's, you know, the head of the household, a man's house is his castle, I lay down the law around here. Yep. Uh, but I think those are both problems. Yep. Right? Just because erring in the opposite way does not mean it's okay. It's still a problem. It's another type. There are types of gender roles that we see. And I agree the mother actually doesn't fall as firmly into the gender role for what this mother, the stereotype of what this mother would be. She's a little bit like the hippy-dippy mother in the same kind of way that the mother in Paranorman, that the mother in, like, she's uh, the opposite... One parent is always overprotective and strict, and the other parent is permissive and uh, under... Lackadaisical. And lackadaisical. And so she gets to be the lackadaisical one. But I appreciated that they she was a more well-rounded character than that, and a yeah. lot of her parenting choices seemed grounded in char- a character that they had some... a bit of a handle on. Yeah, that She's an illustrator of adventure novels. She's artistic and adventurous, and we see... That, and soft-hearted. And, com- and, and compassionate, yeah, and compassionate and wants to help. Not just in how she behaves to her children, but how she behaves all around, like fits with those... And we see signs throughout the house of that character. Yep. And she interacts with all kinds of people like that. Whereas the father, they try to like, oh, he used to be. It's like there's a throwaway joke that's fairly funny. Yeah, the, when they go back in time and he was, they were like, they drove a motorcycle to take her to the hospital to have a baby. And then they, he picked her up in a Volvo with a haircut. And it was like... Like, Pretty funny. <laughs> that was funny, but it also was like because fathers become overprotective and responsible as soon as they become fathers, and like and some men become that. But yes, you're right. You're right. I mean, maybe the line was some men. I don't think it was, but I think it was. Funny thing happens to men when they become fathers, mm. so we can check it. But becoming a father does strange things to a man. But. Even if the line was some men, the movie is only showing us this man. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's a flat, stereotypical kind of father. Mm-hmm. And then when they tr- he grows out of that for really no reason, because he, he decides because he meets Paddington, and this family needs Paddington more as much as you need him. Why? Because him being in the house will teach Hugh Bonneville to be a better father. And these movies are always, always about the father growing into being a better father. Because the mothers are always already good mothers. Yeah. Like. (sighs) Yeah, that's a good point. The mother doesn't need to learn anything. Yes, you're right. It's, I think it's supposed to be that, uh, he's all about risk assessment and Paddington takes risks and it's and it turns out okay, yeah. and it is fun, and etc. But yeah, I agree that, yeah, the father always needs to change, and the, yeah. And the mother doesn't. And I, I mean, we could talk about kids. a little more, this is the same thing that happens in Hook, this is the same thing that happens in so many movies in yep. Paranormal we already talked about. Yep. Um, we could talk about why that is, and there are two reasons why that is, and they're both insidious. 
Yeah. One is the goddess myth that mothers are naturally perfect mothers. Yeah. Which is harmful to actual mothers because when you fail to be a perfect mother, you... Which you will and do. <laughs> you have no comfort. There's yeah. no, like, it's okay, you can learn to be a good mother. No. no. Mothers just are good mothers. The second you push that baby out, you're perfect at being a mother. You have a magical bond with your baby the second they arrive. And the, I said there were two, but maybe there's three insidious things. The second one, I'm pushing the third one late. The second <laughs> one is that fathers aren't, right? So that fathers, by implication, even a father in the stereotypical mold of this one, who is overprotective and cares so much about his children, still, uh, because he isn't the god the goddess mother who knows how to be a perfect mother, fathers by implication are removed from their children and don't have and don't have genuine responsibility for their children. They take some responsibility, but it isn't inherently and naturally theirs the way it is for mothers. Yeah. Absolutely. And then the third one is just that fathers are the protagonists, so they're the one whose character has to grow. Yes, absolutely. All three of those are at play in this movie, and in every time these tropes come up, where the father has yeah. an emotional journey and learns to accept his child, and the mother doesn't, because she doesn't have to. Because she doesn't have to. There are movies where the mother learns and grows and accepts their children. For can you think of, can you name two? Freaky Friday. <laughs> can you name any where there's also a father. Mm, yeah, that's the trouble. It's usually a single mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I agree. I agree that it's it's insidious and it's um, mm-hmm. it's damaging to both men and women incredibly to have this idea that like that women are meant to be mothers and men have to grow and learn how to be fathers and therefore when a man is out with his kids parenting. He gets like, wow, you're doing a, such a great job. Wow, a man and his children. Wow, they're just so much praise for you. And then a woman and her children just be like, she's doing a crap job. Mm-hmm. You know, her kids are running around, etc. Because if you're anything less than a perfect mother, then you're a monster. Yeah, exactly. I saw a mom today with three kids and I was like, wow, she's doing an amazing job. And if that was a dad here, people would be breaking their backs to go and praise him and tell him how great he was and how what a good job babysitting he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just go off on a rant about that. Public. Men don't babysit the parent. Public, right, fathers don't get, babysit. Public service announcement. Fathers don't babysit their children. Their own children. Definitely not. And a father is taking care of his children. That's not babysitting. It's just parenting. End of public service announcement. So... <laughs> Moving on to something else. Moving on to something else. Okay, let me let's talk about the, there's a whole scene where Hugh Bonneville dresses up as a woman, mm-hmm. and it's fairly transphobic. Yeah, it's yeah, it's he dresses up as a maid in order to break into the wherever the archives because yeah. libra- because librarians are awful. Yes, they are. I'm sure they are. And, oh, yeah, librarians saying, are the worst. I'm saying that sarcastically because that's me. Um. Anyway, they uh, break into the archives and he has to dress as this cleaning woman. And the guard, of course, hits on him. And all the funny comes from, ha ha, he's hitting on a woman who's dressed as a man. He thinks that she's beautiful, even though she's obviously ugly because she's a man. He's hit- He thinks that she's... 
she's a, he, he's actually fooled that Hugh Bonneville could really be a beautiful woman. You know, all these things that are just like, do you realize that there are actual people like this? Do you realize? People who, whether it's because they're trans or just because they have traditionally masculine features. Exactly. People who are women but look like they might be men to you. Yep. And isn't that hilarious? Yep. Not exactly. really. Yep. I mean, let's j- okay. Let's talk about that scene because there's a million things to talk about. Yes. I'm going to start with this, which is I ne- I actually found it kind of funny, even though I'm ashamed of myself. <laughs> I giggled, uh, and I don't think I should have. Mm. I think it is you know, transphobic and wrong, but he did look silly. Yes. And, like, <laughs> there was also just the way that he, his lo- his story is so transparent is part of where the yes, humor comes that is from. Also true. He's, it is not a very convincing costume at all. And then, like, they don't show you the picture of his ID card, but they both react to it like it doesn't look anything like him and they're like oh the arm grew back and he's like oh it's a fake arm and he moves his arm as if it's fake and they stab the arm all that was very funny but having yeah. said that it's also transphobic and ableist and gay yeah. panic and misogynist yeah all piled on top of it so like i just want to get out of the way that like i giggled and thought it was funny there were parts while... of that scene that were funny because of um like you said, the whole ID card where he doesn't look anything like the ID at all. And who knows who that what that idea mm-hmm. ID what even was. But and I think I think it's trying to say something in that he whistles at her at his sorry. The guard whistles at Mr. At Brown. Mr. Brown, dressed as a woman. And then when he Rick turns Brown. When Mr. Brown turns around, it's clearly a man in a dress, but he continues to hit on him. Mm -hmm. The guard continues to think, you're beautiful and sexy. And so there is some of that that, like, is being like, it's he doesn't immediately go, oh my goodness, it's an ugly man. He still sees her as sexy. Still sees him. Oh, see, I'm all messed up with my pronouns now. The guard still sees Mr. Brown as sexy, even though he's, even though the stereotype would be, as soon as he saw him, he Dude, would freak Hugh out. Gay panic. Hugh Gay panic. So I said there's a million layers to talk about. I want to take them one at a time. Can we Just peel back that onion? Peel Keep back peeling that it onion. back. So we talked first about like. Uh, I talked first about how I thought it was funny anyway, but then, or despite myself, can we talk for a second about why does a cleaning woman have to be a woman? Yes. Why is there no such thing as a cleaning man? Yep. Because that's a completely uninterrogated assumption. Why do you have, why does it necessary for him to disguise himself as a woman? Because cleaning is women's work. It does not, a cleaning man does not exist. Yep. Well, janitor. And in real life, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, like, yeah, for this... him to come in cleaning, he has to also dress as a woman. Yeah. Why couldn't the joke be that he was wearing, like, a stupid fake mustache? That would be just as funny. 
Yeah, but it has to be because because there is an assumption that to be a cleaner is... Uh, to be weak, and to be weak is to be female. Exactly. Yeah. Then, okay, so that's one layer. Let's peel that layer off and talk about... I made a joke about, or I made a reference to, um, if he had been like, oh, you're a man, cue gay panic. But a lot of the humor here comes from an unspoken gay panic. Yes. Because it is hilarious and uncomfortable and uncomfortably hilarious to have a man hitting on another man. Don't you see how that's ridiculous and wrong? Yeah. Don't you see how that's absurd for a man to be hitting on another man? Yeah. So there's that whole layer. Yeah. And that gets... I think to them to their minor minor credit I I like it better as subtext than as text but I'd rather it not be there at all. Yep. Peel that layer Peel off. Peel that layer off. <laughs> then we have what is it what is this movie demonstrating of like if you identify as a woman immediately he becomes the target of unwanted yeah, uh, sexual, sexual aggression. aggression. I did notice that. And that is a common thing that it's, it's a little bit a man, the, the humor there and the, for women, I think lies in like the comeuppance of as soon as you're dressed as a woman, guess what happens? Men hit on you men. And I don't think here, not to the movie's credit, I don't think the movie is making fun of that. No. I don't think the movie recognizes that uh, that's a sad commentary on what men are like. Yeah. Or what it is to be a woman. I think the movie is just like, haha, of course, that's what one would expect. Yeah. Cleaning ladies get hit on all the time because all women do because that's the right natural order of things. Can we just mention for half a second here that when this movie started, the... Weinstein logo came up, and this is oh. produced by Harvey Weinstein. And right now, as we're recording this, all of this information about Harvey Weinstein is coming out. And like that was very much in my head as we were watching this movie. And that moment was like, huh, interesting. That's what happens to women in a Harvey Weinstein movie. In Harvey Weinstein's world, yeah, women exist to be hit on no matter what they look like, no matter what their role is. Yep. As soon as there's a female presence, she's the target of unwanted sexual advances. Yep. Um, or even someone who identifies or is identified by others as female. Yep, exactly. Peel that layer off. Peel that layer off there. Then, uh, what he de- his ID card doesn't look like him. Oh, you've lost an awful lot of weight. Yep. So, fat phobia. Yep. Peel that layer off. And the arm grew back because people without arms are hilarious. Yep. Like, disabled people are hilarious. And stabbing the arm because, like, stabbing the arm that he pretended to be fake, I'll say, that was quality miming by Hugh Bonneville to act like his arm was a fake arm. And it was funny and he stabbed it a bunch of time. But at the same time... A real person who has a prosthetic arm, you don't go around stabbing them to be like, prove oh, your isn't arm that is... that so weird and so wacky life-like. and freaky that your arm isn't a real arm? You can't even feel it? You're amputated? Like, no, that would be incredibly inappropriate. Yeah, exactly. And would be, therefore is. Yeah. So, so uh, ableism. Peel that layer Peel off. that layer off. So we have all these nice onions <laughs> of... 
it stinks like an onion. Yeah, it, it, this scene. we've gotten to the center and it's rotten. It's an onion that's been left in my cupboard for way too long and it's got a stinky, rotty core. You know, like, yeah, when you yeah. cut open an onion and the inside is all slimy and brown and you're like, oh, is any part of this onion salvageable? And the answer is no. This scene <laughs> is not salvageable. Nope. Just take it out. Lift it out. Remove it. Put him in a funny mustache. That's all it would have taken. That would have been funny. My kids would have found that hilarious to put a man in a funny mustache. A funny, transparently fake mustache yep. that the security guard does not recognize as And you fake. can even have the ID card thing where, like, oh, you look really different from your ID card, you know, blah, blah, blah. It, that could have been a thing. Yeah. But, nope. They had to go for all the terrible jokes. Yeah. That is a five-minute scene in this movie, just to be clear. It's a five-minute rant. It's we a just five gave minute, more than that. 10, more than that, 15. I'd say. But, you know. It's a really poisonous scene, though. It's a really poisonous scene. Yeah. So, anything else that you noticed about this movie? I'm sure that if I thought about it, I would could remember other <laughs> things that are worth talking about. But um, I think we've done this movie justice. Yeah, I think so, too. I think that... Uh, overall, it was well done. I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to the sequel. I think we'll do a, what, a WTS about the sequel when it comes out. Maybe we'll even see it in theaters. Who knows? And we'll see if they continue to be transphobic and colonial garbage. We will see. <laughs> so how do you rate this? Was it good? Was it seriously good? I think it was easily good. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite good and better than... I think it was better than it has gotten credit for being. I don't see it as a particularly popular movie, but in terms of the quality of the movie, I think it deserves some more attention. Yeah. And the director has directed, like, only Paddington and some TV shows. And in terms of his visual style and his skill with composing and imagining shots, like, this director needs to do more stuff, please. Yeah, exactly. More things that are Paddington 2 and Paddington 3, apparently. Like, he is pretty good with the goofy humor, but he's better when he's not doing that. When he's doing something artistic and uh, beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like, I would love to see him do a movie that isn't really even trying to be funny. Yep. That has some Wes Anderson-y deadpan humor, but not the uh, slapstick. Yep, absolutely. How about Seriously? Is this movie seriously good? I mean, I wouldn't call it seriously bad. I think the few things we've brought up are, you know, not the meat of the movie. Yeah, I agree. I'd say seriously medium. Seriously medium. There are some really terribly seriously bad parts, but the reason that it, from me, gets a seriously medium rather than a seriously bad is although those parts are very bad, they pass very quickly, and most of the movie isn't dwelling on those things except for everyone in the movie is white yep so it doesn't get higher than seriously medium yeah for sure absolutely yeah but i think that there are the the worst parts about it seriously speaking pass very quickly yeah and are really minor yeah yeah all right well this was fun yeah <laughs> paddington Paddington. Isn't there a song about Paddington? Paddington, Paddington, Paddington Bear. Is that how it goes? No, that's 
uh, Winnie the Pooh song. Oh, okay. Coddleston, Coddleston, <laughs> Coddleston Pie. Yeah, who was first? No, Winnie the Pooh was way first. Winnie the Pooh was, was way saying. first. He's he was 1914, way, I think. Yeah, he's way earlier. Yeah. Um, I wonder how we would feel. Like, I wonder how it went over in the UK if it was different there. Just because Paddington? of Paddington, the, mm. the movie. Just because yeah, of, of the, the strong cultural thing of Paddington that isn't here as much. So if people wanted to get in touch with us, if people wanted to say, no, I'm sorry, Darkest Peru poisons this movie beyond repair. This yep. is a seriously awful movie. We'd love to hear that. Yep. I mean... And I think we have some listeners from the UK, so we'd love to hear Yeah, you. if you're from the UK, what is Paddington... What I gather it is, like, everyone is steeped in Paddington lore. <laughs> Not quite that much. <laughs> But, like, if you go to Paddington Station, do you automatically think bear? Because I would if I was there. <laughs> so if you wanted to send us that and tell us stuff about Paddington or movies or Peru, <laughs> how would you do that? You would contact us on Twitter is the biggest place we are, we are which is at WTScast. You could send us one of them fancy emails, newfangled fancy emails. Way too seriously cast at gmail.com. Lots of letters, lots of chances to have a typo and have it not get to us, which has happened recently. Oh, yes. Um, or, you know, we're on Reddit, we're on Instagram. We're, we're on Instagram now? We're on Instagram now. Fancy. We're on uh, Facebook, that Facebook place that you might go when you're avoiding your racist relatives. And we're on. Uh, we're on all the, things. all the things you can find us there's links so, in the show notes and, and if you, can you click them and if you want to if you really like us and want to kick us a little bit of extra cash that you might have lying around your house patreon.com slash clockworkscast is our patreon and we are so very i want to add to this episode a like big thank you to those who are supporting us already on patreon yep it really means a lot to us emotionally, but also, like, this takes time, and getting some money to compensate for that time really is one of the things that makes it possible. Yep, absolutely. So we are extremely grateful. Thank you for doing that. Join those people if you want to help us out, and we will be grateful to you also. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening. So I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And if you are ever in London, oh, we didn't talk about, we won't talk, I won't add it to this, but maybe we'll have a conversation on Twitter about, like, all the immigration stuff in this movie. The fact that they have a tag a on bit. his, he has a tag around his neck. Right, yeah. That's really meaningful and we didn't talk about it. I'm going to tweet about it when this episode comes out. Okay, and if cool. you ever come <laughs> to Newfoundland, you can be well sure of a warm welcome. Because <laughs> that's where we live. Right. And that's like, it's like, if you come to London, you'll have a warm welcome. But yeah. if you, listener... It's just come with a tag around your neck that says Paul and Jan. Someone will find us, I promise. It says, take care of this mainlander. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely.